Sovereignty, autonomy and independence are key concepts dominating the discussion on current global crises affecting us, from Ukraine to Afghanistan. In today's episode, we'll discuss one of the most important stepping stones in the history of these concepts, and we'll do so by examining the 20th century notion of a mandate. A mandate is a form of political control that was established at the close of the First World War. Before the First World War, when countries dominated each other, there was no recourse to any forms of international law or guidance. The peace discussions that followed the close of the war reached the reluctant conclusion that territories that were formerly controlled by the Germans and the Ottomans could not be handed back to the victors. Instead, the victorious powers agreed to institute mandates, which were officially defined as the right to legally administer a young country on behalf of the League of Nations, the precursor to the United Nations. Yet as we will see in this episode, the mandate became a disguised form of control. Beneath the global treaties and laws, the ancient regime of authoritarianism, division and conquering resources continued unabated. Americans plotted to overthrow their government, and the evidence is strong. So what is the mandate? So the mandate system is a development from the League of Nations in which nation states are not under direct colonial control, they're under, at least rhetorically, the sort of influence of European powers. The idea being that after a certain period of time, those countries will gain independence. So it's a kind of, people argue it's kind of the first sort of institutionalization of an anti-colonial position within a large international body. Although, you know, if, if people, the League of Nations has largely seen to be a failure, and if people are trying to suggest where it had some successes, they would even potentially point to the mandate system. But I don't think the story is as quite as simple as that necessarily. What do you think? Yeah, I think, like, I don't think it necessarily is a success because none of these... The first thing to say is that none of these areas that became countries were ever countries before. They were regions of an empire. And suddenly they became areas with a congress, with a soon-to-be a constitution, with a president, a head of state, with a national culture. All of these things had to be invented in the matter of 40 years, during which the mandate power, so like the British or the French, had to educate. That was the responsibility, this nation, into democracy. So at at the time when neither of these countries even had universal suffrage, right? Like the British yeah. didn't have universal suffrage, neither did the French. But it also it also contains a huge element of, of, uh, hangover colonial racism to a certain degree. The idea that we'll take control of this country until they are mature enough, till they have moved up the steps of history and, and are ready to assume their nationhood. And the League of Nations literally put them on a step. Like, you could be a nation of, yeah. like, primitive people, yeah. or you could be a nation of tribal people, or you could be a nation of... But you see, you see what someone who wanted to defend it would reply, they would say, while that's true, 
right? They would then say something like, we have to understand things in their context, which is that, like, yes, it was still a predominantly racist world. And then if you're looking at the sort of intellectual development or or how I, the, the transmission of ideas through time, what the mandate does is it's the first recognition that kind of winner takes all is not the end result of a war. Yes. So that, that, that would be the, the fundamental shift is that normally if you win a war, that's it. It's your country and you can do what you want with it. That's that's the kind of colonial history to that. Whereas this is really kind of a, although it's still obviously messed up, it's kind of the birth of international diplomacy because it's saying you've won the war, but that doesn't mean you can now do whatever the hell you want with the territories around Mount Lebanon. That doesn't mean you can do whatever you want with Syria. You have obligations now. Yes, and you're 100% right about like this humanitarian and anti-colonial sentiment behind it because that's literally what people would say like this is the time when Lenin was present and was like an international figure even if his words weren't like widely respected at the League of Nations um, Lenin's ideas were present and were being read by international intellectuals and so anti-colonialism was an actual force and although the mandate isn't its pure manifestation it can't be denied that the mandates uh, system is the result, at least, of you know the fight between anti-colonialism yeah. and the brute force of colonial clans of the British. I'm, and the I'm French. sure there are historians who would point out that actually the idea that you have duties and obligations and you can't immediately occupy the people you've conquered exists in X Y time. But this was the major. This is a major development, at least within the European theater around. Uh, notions of rights and responsibilities after victory. Yes, I mean to be fair, like the, the 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 French at least in Lebanon did develop a constitution eventually, although it was a very deeply flawed constitution. And the rulers that came during the mandate were always of a particular background, Maronite mm. um, Christian. But this returns us to the conspiracy aspect of it: is that when you have things like this going on, the idea of stewardship and. The, the powers are secretly behind and, and maybe things aren't going to change. And There's a whole degree of mystery and mistrust in this sort of system. It obviously breeds conspiratorial thought. And you can yes. argue that this kind of represents, you know, if you're, if you're genuine, you say, yes, mandates were always designed to make countries realize, reach their point of independence. Or you can say, actually, it was designed to sort of stave off other forces and divide up the countries into ways in which they would be economically exploited through, like you mentioned with America, economic forms of imperialism, then you're beginning to get what looks like a conspiracy. So you have an official narrative, mandates lead to independent nationhood. You have then the hidden reality, which is no, they don't. It's just a continuation of exploitation through other means and nationhood will never be achieved. Or even if it is achieved, it's the kind that Lebanon and Syria gained after the post post-colonial period which is just constant instability and constant interference from multiple external parties and and one of the things is that it was this is a point that was debated around isis is that oh the mandate was flawed because of the division of the borders so like iraq was a fake yeah. country and i don't think necessarily iraq i think iraq is actually the worst but example that argument of this. that that argument's also a bit racist in its own way because it's kind of saying that that the no, only Iraq, way yeah. the only way to solve the Middle East is by getting the borders right. Sykes no, no, no. But that's the point I was going to make is that actually, like, ignore Iraq because it's a bad example of this. A place where you can see the wrong borders being drawn is actually the French inside of Syria, 
when they tried to have Jabal Druze as its own region, as like Latakia for the Alawites of Syria as its own region, then Damascus and the um, uh, Damascus countryside as its own region, and have that as opposed, and also a fourth thing, the mountain of Lebanon as a Christian region. These plans immediately failed in the aftermath. Yeah, but you're going to argue they failed because those territories lack the natural resources to function as independent states. And because people like don't want to be part of just an, like but that, one but, sectarian but that, region. But, that, but that, 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 uh, that argument is like, it works across the board because you can then say, um, people would say, oh, Lebanon should be part of Syria because greater Syria is a natural economic Fact, unit not it even fits. on that but there's a cultural element to it is it like the greater syria has a cultural rightness to it Gra- Ga- greater syria is the historical region that Ma- includes lebanon syria, jordan palestine but the problem and but, even iraq but the problem with that is that you know you, if you go and speak to many many lebanese people like, like you know they will have a kind of weird emotional attachment to this thing called lebanon right syrians the same and it's not that's the, after it, 100 that, years of but of course division. but that, but that also is the history of nations everywhere when the when the united kingdom was first drawn up people did not have emotional attachments to the idea of the uk if you look at somewhere like scotland you know it's yes but it's, just scotland, scotland has in england scotland, for example have and sort of a, animosity towards this thing called Europe doesn't mean that there's something no, from look European at Scot- history. If you look at Scotland, that's a, that's a country where you have pretty much in the last referendum, obviously it's probably changed now, a sort of 50-50 split yes, towards yes, people, people that feel have British a, that feel British and all, all those who feel Scottish. And it's not the case that somehow there's a sort of primordialism that's applied to Arabs that like whatever way you draw the borders, you've got to get these things right. When actually then it may, means you, you end up Engaging in this like sort yes. of mad redrawing of borders rather than fixing and the as, real problem, which is the economic inequality. In the rest of Arab history in the 20th century, especially with regards to Syria, it's really the history of one government trying to unify with anyone who is willing and to change up its border in any way possible. Whether whether it's like Syria trying to unify with Iraq or with Jordan at some point, and of course the very famous United Arab Republic, whereby Nasserist Egypt and uh, people, Syria became people, people one country. People don't know a lot about that. When, but when, yeah. when, when, when Egypt and Syria were one country, but that wasn't that, that was not only done because of irredentist sentiment, like the desire to have a a, a, a truly unified accurate representation it, of it what they are because of the that's rise part, part of psychedelics it. and the desire for oneness and just like this is where pan that's why, that's, that's why they say from. wahde in the, in the, in the, in the, which means unity in the in the syrian constitution but it was but it's all it's it's not a lot of people write about it as if it's a kind of emotional longing to have borders that are correct part of it but the people who led these sort of Ba'athist and Nasserist movements also were not just like wrapped up in sentiment. They understood that a unified Arab Arab state is more powerful by default, more unified by default, and able to resist Western imperialism. It was not. It's maybe they would use or be willing to mobilize those emotional sentiments, this desire for a return to a unified Arab state. But it was also done out of real reasons, and you get trapped in the conspiracy theories if you start seeing it like outside of that economic base i th- i think that regardless of people's sentiments about where they want to be 
there is a fundamental geopolitical reality to the issue of borders. Look at Europe. Europe was historically throughout the 20th and even before divided, like especially Germany and um, what's it called? Germany and France divided around the region where it's most like endowed with steel and coal. And that's the Rhine region or whatever, or yeah. the Ruhr region. And that's not because that's a region where people feel particularly nationalistic. It's because it's strategic to the nation's economy and strategic to the nation's capacity to become like self-sufficient. And that's where warfare is most likely to happen and more more likely to be spurred. And so, for two, like maybe, so, maybe return to the man in the, the man saying Sykes Pico is over, right? Why was he saying that? Because he believed in a European Union style sort of free movement of labor and goods but, across. But no, no, it's yeah, no. He wanted a free movement agreement. <laughs> he was also, but he was also saying that because because Sykes Pico stands as a it has an emotional resonance. No, you know this better than me. It stands for like European duplicity. Yes, everything that's gone wrong with the Middle East. That it's not it's not a literal demand to have borders, which we haven't even talked about this, how the borders aren't exactly even drawn up as they were under Sykes Pico anyway. Oh we yeah, so eventually that. maybe we should mention this. Eventually the borders were sort of Sykes Pico with a few amendments. amendments. Basically and Iraq was supposed to split off between the French and the um uh, the French and the British. Instead it was completely given to the British and controlled by the uh, Faisal himself, actually, the son of Hussein. Mm. Um, Lebanon and Syria were given to the French. Jordan, as a country, was created and given to another son of Saudi Arabia. But Hussein got so mad at the division of the territory that he refused to sign a treaty with the British. So well, five years later, or maybe like even earlier than that, four years later, when Ibn Saud started attacking his territories, the British refused to help him and he was kicked out to Jordan to live with his son Abdullah and he died um, very early on, very uh, shortly after. Um, and I think even he wasn't allowed to go to Amman because they thought that he would instigate too much revolt so he wasn't even allowed to visit his son. Isn't that sad? That's he had the Arab sad. revolt and then he was just treated as a... <laughs> he lived in a tent in Aqaba yeah. where his son would sometimes visit him. And it's a tragic ending. And I think in all of these senses, in the senses that they took up this great responsibility of drawing up the borders, they really mistreated this family, which I don't like, the Hussains, because they gave us modern-day Jordan, and that's a horrible thing. Um, but then they mismanaged the sort of like the 40 years in which they built the constitution and the, built the nation-state, basically. And most of these countries either went into a coup or a civil war right after. So Lebanon in the 70s, Syria had loads of coup d'etats immediately after yeah. independence. Syria, Syria after independence had coup d'etat, coup d'etat, United Arab Republic, coup d'etat, coup d'etat. Hafez al-Assad, nothing. Bashar al-Assad, nothing for a bit. Bloody civil war. <laughs> yes. That's, the, that's like, the, that's, the, that's the But history. Iraq is the same. Like but the, it would be a weird stretch to argue to say, oh, the reason why Syria had a civil war is because of Sykes-Picot. No, I'm but saying some the reason why the coup d'etat happened is potentially... Like, I'm just saying that they weren't resilient democracies, what they left behind. No, they but were, I remember that, so remember that within that chain of coup d'etats, there was plenty of CIA <laughs> And we'll get to that. We'll get that. So in Syria, of course, there was CIA. And then in Lebanon as well, it's... I mean, Lebanese civil war... 
what is it? It's, it's, it's certainly not a war over the fact that Lebanon is is, is too small. No, it's I a mean, war between left and right yes, and, and east and west. The, it, it's, mid, a, it's a very on a small stereoty- Mediterranean. That's state. stereotypical, but uh, run of the mill Cold War civil war. Yeah, it's a Cold War civil war between but, left wing and uh, yeah. right wing factions. Yeah. For, um, which, which is still go- which is still a Cold Civil War today in Lebanon. But it would, you know, what's the argument you could make that if there wasn't the sykes pico Agreement? These, this instability would never have happened. No, so that's when. No, but I, I mean, pe- like, some people might genuinely think that. But the way I think that it makes more sense for. I think had you not had sex because, and had you had really like what happened to Europe in the aftermath of the Second World War, where you actually like just invested loads into these destroyed countries who have suffered a lot into like producing somewhat democratic yeah. institutions even though there is obviously like a dark side to the u.s funding of these post-war um european economies we might have seen a different thing yeah like but as the leader as the leader of a, of a separatist movement within within europe or within what not europe the european continent like i think it's important to point out that that you know that while that happened it's true for those those movements that try and separate out and redraw borders like mine, the Northern Independence yeah, Party. But we do that. We do that not out of an emotional. Some do, you know, an emotional attachment to this country. Sure. But it's also to right the wrongs of how those countries, in the end, ended up. So the sentiment that you want to like yeah, unify in the Middle East, the, the, the Middle East, the desire a to unify EU bureaucrat to cut up like the borders of the northern Northern England. That's no, instead we different. had no. Instead we had a random set of kings hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Yeah, and there's natural history. Just trying not. to de-exoticize this in the Middle East. That when, in the Middle East, the desire for unity. What I'm saying is the Middle East and the desire for unity often is a sort of response to basic socioeconomic inequality. Is the idea if we unify everything, maybe it would actually be better. But also this. But is it a also drive. makes sense because like, there's sense. a lot of very variety in like Middle Eastern economies. And then in Europe like, with Catalonia, Wales, Egypt. There's heavy agriculture in Egypt and Morocco and yeah. there's like oil in Algeria and Saudi Arabia. Um, and so like they're quite good to mix along. And then in, um, but and then so, in, other, in other contexts, the desire to fix that whilst also it can be influenced by but still manifest through borders in the sense that I want to break apart from this overly exploitative center or whatever. So that desire exists everywhere. And Europe is not this exception just because, like you said, they poured loads of money in. Like it still has a, a sense that if oh, you no, change the, the borders, then you fix the country in the Middle East. No, 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 no. You know, like one... It's not if you fix the border, but definitely if you draw the borders in a particular way, and then you also impose like com- control of the flow of commodities across those borders, whereby in the past it was free and relatively unfettered, you cause a great deal of disruption and you cause a change at least. Yeah. I'm not gonna say positive or negative, but you cause quite a significant change in people's livelihoods like yeah. think about a place like southern lebanon or northern palestine whereby there was a huge economic links prior to the um, uh, mandate and then those stopped entirely or the way in which syria and lebanon split the like damascus as we said in the episodes on the beirut explosion beirut was the port of damascus basically when you cut that off and you have a different what's it called yeah but they got a free agreement they did get a free agreement movement for for goods and people relatively quickly no it was very difficult and it was one of the more also your country had a bloody massive civil war so it was no good shipping stuff through there yeah but we had had 30 years of like uh, (laughs) real liberal trade which would have destroyed any sort of five-year plans that the Syrians wanted to make but that's the weird thing about 
about about about Le- anyway we're getting soft track but like Lebanon from Syria's perspective is you know Syria is a, is an is an Arab socialist you know very being very blunt how you describe it Arab socialist state and then they've got this nasty little capitalist Lebanon to, <laughs> to its to its left and then immediately has a brutal civil war being yeah. very difficult neighbors for everyone we are a very difficult <laughs> neighbor um, but no but it's that is a factor right all these countries having different political and economic systems also produced fractious neighborly relations right so jordan is a is a monarchy that is well aligned with the u.s shares oh, yes. intelligence also, also. lebanon is a free market capitalist, free for all, capitalist even professional um, professional democracy with a very weak state and then you have arab socialist syria all sharing borders yes yes yes. it's like a sitcom <laughs> <laughs> Um, and they all joined together in um, a cafe uh, a Central Park. Uh, in uh, that's a good joke. Yeah. That's a terrible joke. <laughs> and on this note, uh, would you say Sykes-Picot is a conspiracy theory? Yes, it is a conspiracy theory. It was something that went on behind behind closed doors designed to... I mean, what is a conspiracy? It's people meeting in a room deciding the fate of other people. Um, this is a huge example of that. Yeah. And like... To be fair, throughout this all, the British and the French were like, we should not give the Arabs their yeah. own region. That makes no sense. Why would you hand this out? Um, like, why would you hand out a giant piece of land which yeah. we f- whose revolt we funded just to the people that live yeah. there? So, yeah, I think it is a, a conspiracy theory. I think it's pretty detrimental. And well, was that our essay question? It's like, speak a conspiracy theory. Yeah. Yes, it's the conspiracy theory that shaped the modern Middle East. Exactly. End. <laughs> thank you and so for next week's episode we not next week god this will be in 2023 probably we'll be discussing one attempt at unifying the arab world under an ideology espoused by general abdel nasser oh excellent and we'll see you next time goodbye <laughs>